0: Brothers and sisters, I love no more. Oh, ah. together, brothers and sisters. Are-
1: Just been tuned in to Rose City Native, which you can catch every Thursday night starting at 6 o'clock p.m. The time is 7.02. Stay tuned for Hard Knock Radio, a rebroadcast of Hard Knock Radio coming up next. And of course, you are listening to KBOO Portland 90.7 FM, KT K22HR Hood River, and K282BH Philomath. And you can also Hear KBU online at www.kbu.fm or download the KBU app from Google Play or iTunes. Stay tuned.
2: KBU Community Radio is a proud co sponsor of Thanks for Giving a Give Guide Happy Hour with Human Solutions, Urco, and KABU on Monday, November 20th at 5 p.m. at the Loganitas Community Room in Portland. Human Solutions is partnering with KABU and Urco to say thank you to their donors and to celebrate being included in this year's Willamette Week Give Guide. The evening includes beer and snacks as a way of saying thanks for giving to all their supporters. Again, that's thanks for giving a Give Guide Happy Hour with Human Solutions, ERCO and KABU on Monday, November 20th at 5 p.m. at the Loganitas Community Room, 237 Northeast Broadway Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events.
3: KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of What Now? Tuesday, November 21st at 6 p.m. at Revolution Hall in Portland. What Now? is an event and movement created in the days after the November 2016 elections to channel collective frustration and fear into positive direct action in the community. This year's What Now? event offers multiple engagement opportunities for Portlanders of all communities, backgrounds, and ages. Again, that's What Now? Tuesday, November 21st at 6 p.m. at Revolution Hall, 1300 Southeast Stark Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events.
4: One, two, three, four. Y'all ready for this?
0: Ladies and gentlemen.
5: You're tuned to Hard Knock. On today's program, we speak with community organizer and hip-hop scholar activist Rosa Clemente about her upcoming trip to document what's happening on the ground in Puerto Rico, as well as the ongoing relief efforts. All this and more ahead, so keep it locked.
6: You're listening to WIN, Workers Independent News, a Diversified Media Enterprises production. I'm Doug Cunningham. Former BCTGM union Nabisco workers want you to stand with them on a boycott of Nabisco products like Oreos, Ritz crackers, and Chips Ahoy. Listen to their message on why they want you to join their Nabisco boycott.
7: We are the BCTGM fighting for American jobs. Nabisco, maker of iconic snack brands like Oreo, Ritz crackers, and Chips Ahoy has made its fortunes in America and its patriotic response has been to send U.S. jobs to Mexico. As a result, consumers across the U.S. continue to boycott their Mexican-made products. Corporate revenues are down across North America. Consumers are sending a loud, clear message. Now, religious leaders from all faiths across the U.S. are calling for an investigation into this Nabisco business model and have scheduled a six-city tour to look deeper into the matter. Just as the NAFTA negotiation are in the forefront, the faith community will begin to talk to workers, politicians, and other faith-based leaders addressing this U.S. job's exodus by Nabisco from a moral and ethical perspective and widely publishing their findings. The BCTGM and Interfaith Workers' Justice, its faith-based coalition partner, ask all people of faith and social conscience to join this fight against Nabisco's exploitation of workers in the U.S. and in Mexico. Millions are already not buying Nabisco products made in Mexico and it's already impacting their bottom line. Join our fight for moral and economic justice at fightforamericanjobs.org.
6: The city of Portland, Oregon, is legally fighting an effort by a right-wing anti-union group to get private contact information and home addresses of public workers. The Freedom Foundation, part of the right-wing state policy network, is out to attack and weaken unions. The state policy network has said it wants to deliver a mortal blow to public worker unions. The Center for Media and Democracy says internal documents show that the state policy network is the tip of the spear of an extreme right-wing movement active nationwide. As reported earlier in the The Guardian, based on the documents obtained by the Center for Media and Democracy, the goal of a multimillion-dollar campaign now underway is to defund and defang unions. The City of Portland has sued to block the Freedom Foundation from getting public worker personal information. The Freedom Foundation has also sued the City of Portland to get this public worker information so it can then go to homes and call the workers as part of an anti-union campaign. When it comes to paying its fair share of taxes, Nike should just do it. That's the message the AFL-CIO is sending to Nike, saying that Nike should pay its fair share of U.S. taxes to help finance U.S. schools, infrastructure, and hospitals. The Labor Federation says Nike should limit its offshore tax avoidance schemes and pay up. The recent Paradise Papers release shows Nike shifted billions of dollars in profits offshore to a Bermudian subsidiary and then to a Dutch limited partnership. The AFL-CIO is submitting a share Holder proposal to Nike's board, urging that Nike adopt responsible tax principles. You've been listening to Win Workers Independent News. For more information, visit workersindependentnews.com.
5: I'm Anita Johnson. Almost two weeks after Hurricane. Maria left the island of Puerto Rico devastated, leaving 3.4 million U.S. citizens in the territory lacking power. Infrastructure destroyed homes, damaged, and an entire year's worth of agricultural output essentially ruined. For more on Puerto Rico, we're joined by Rosa Clemente, community organizer, political commentator, hip-hop activist, and the 2008 Green Party vice presidential candidate, And might I add, she's a proud Puerto Rican. Rosa, once again, uh, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. First of all, how are your family and friends faring in Puerto Rico? What have you heard thus far? Where are things right now currently on the ground post these two really horrific uh, hurricanes, being Irma and Maria?
8: My family, most of them have been in contact. Some of them that live in the western part of Puerto Rico are out of San Juan have not been in contact. So when I head down there this Friday, October 6th with my film crew, we will all be looking for people that we haven't heard from yet.
5: You know... I mean, it's important to mention that, that yeah, definitely you're going to be you're leaving. You all are leaving on Friday. I know Eli. Yesterday, Davy had a conversation with him. He, they mentioned that uh, you all are going down there uh, to to help with you know relief efforts, but also really to document what's happening on the ground. Maybe if you can talk a bit about that.
8: Ever since it happened, many of us who are Puerto Rican are not only dealing with seeing if family members are okay and loved ones on the island, but then also dealing and and, as organizers and activists doing what we do as well here on the mainland to also support grassroots organizations on the ground that before the hurricane were preparing for what they knew was going to be a catastrophic disaster, you know so I think a lot of us who do organizing and activist work are balancing both trying to figure out if our families are okay, trying to support other people whose family they haven't heard from, and as well, organize around not only the immediate relief, but dealing with a lot of the larger issues of the politics in Puerto Rico, particularly the politics of colonialism, imperialism, and debt that have crippled the island before Hurricane Irma or Hurricane Maria.
5: Exactly. Uh, Something else that you mentioned was that you had family that are outside of San Juan, and I know much much of the media attention has really been focused on San Juan, um, but they're like more than 70-plus municipalities, and many uh, are still not reachable. Talk a bit about the devastation experienced throughout Puerto Rico and how those folks are faring, considering that a lot of media attention and focus hasn't really been uh, given their way or provided to them.
8: Well, we don't know, personally, till we get get on the ground, because—
5: no feedback. Even, nobody. Nobody's been like been able to. I mean, I'm. I'm thinking about your network, right? So, there's been no word at all.
8: No, we've gotten messages from people outside of San Juan who, when they can relay messages, because still only 14 percent of the island has full power, and most of that is concentrated in the city of San Juan. So, a lot of people in smaller towns and municipalities have to go and walk towards a cell phone tower that may be up and kind of all gather around and share that information. But we were able to get words at least a day or two afterwards, especially of organizations that were in some type of network or communication or could, could communicate or get us a message. But that even took a week for a lot of us to hear from people on the ground and then most of those people were more located near san juan or outside of san juan and it's just been the last couple of days that we've gotten communication from people on the western part of the island from the island of vieques which is off the coast of puerto rico which is completely just everybody's saying that the the destruction there no one has actually seen or been able to communicate out of there.
3: Mm -hmm.
8: And then in parts of um, the Western, part where most of the bridges that connect the communities, most of them have collapsed. So it's not until probably the last, this week, where we're getting more updates. People are able to maybe log on Facebook for a minute and send a communication, or they can use WhatsApp better to communicate with us. Most of all the relief efforts, though, are still located in San Juan and outside, as opposed to in every municipality. There's 78 of them. That means there's 78 mayors, not just one or two. There should already have been what are called pods that the military sets up, points of distribution. But you can't distribute anything, and you can't drive trucks if there's no gas. So the thing is the United States government should already have pre staged oil tankers, they should have pre staged one or two hundred helicopters to do airdrops and to this day to like as of today they still have not done that. Mm-hmm. There's not part of distribution. You have to get outside of your municipality, go to one location, wait there for four to six hours to get a bag of ice or a box four pieces of food you know and if you're if curfew is about to happen you're also the line shut down so there's a lot of things that they could should have been put in place and to this day that is still not moving donations that are mostly in san juan eleven thousand containers of donations of goods that are literally sitting at the port of san juan as of today
5: let's talk a bit about why that isn't happening the way in which you just describe it should be. Uh, I know that last Thursday, the Trump administration granted the island a temporary waiver from the Jones Act law requirement, a move that should have helped uh, somewhat with the immediate disaster relief. What's your thought around that? And also, can you explain for our listeners uh, what the Jones Act is?
8: The Jones Act is a 1920s maritime law. And what it essentially how it affects Puerto Rico is all nothing can come into puerto rico without going first to the u.s mainland so if jamaica wants to send aid or well we can't even trade with other nations we're under united states trade laws because we're not independent and we're a colony but if jamaica simply and, and all the caribbean nations have wanted to send help they cannot send help directly to puerto rico they have to go past puerto rico they have to go usually to uh jacksonville florida disembark like everybody has to get off the boat everything has to be taken off the boat it has to be checked by u.s custom it has to be put back on the boat there's a 10.6 excise tax because of that labor and then that can get to puerto rico as why in puerto rico if a gallon of milk is 350 in 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 the United States, in the mainland, as people call it, there could be parts of Puerto Rico where half a gallon of milk or a gallon of milk, I'm sorry, it's $7 because of that excess tax. If you buy a car in Puerto Rico, it's usually an average of $5,000 more Mm -hmm. than if you bought the car in Florida. So that takes away the ability from any other nation to provide help unless the United States gives a waiver to that so venezuela wanted to send oil and cuba well venezuela could it because they also under an embargo but cuba could send doctors or all the other caribbean nations could have helped just like when hurricane um harvey hit the first people that went to st thomas were puerto ricans who got on their boat to give supplies and relief and donations so It's not just a waiver of the Act. The Jones Act needs to be completely repealed. And the only way that happens is if the United States finally admits that we're a colony and that Puerto Rico be allowed to go through a decolonization process through the United Nations and finally becomes its own independent nation. We're no longer controlled by the United States government, the military, and all of that. And this is why in this disaster... We are being treated not first, second, third-class citizens. We're not being treated as American citizens because we have never been American citizens in that regard. We're subjects of a colony. And it's hard for people to fathom that. And, you know, when you're in in the United States of America, when half the people don't know that Puerto Ricans are born American citizens, and then we're, quote, on an island that's in an ocean too far to get to, according to the president you know this was a catastrophe in the making for over 119 years since we've been a colony mm-hmm. and people have been warning this since the united states invaded us in 1898 so why do you think that- and, and this is now right here at the literally in front of everybody to see and actually to this moment there's not still enough outrage over what is happening in puerto rico right now
5: Based on everything that you just said, why do you think there's this huge disconnect, especially when we think about people of color and understanding that Puerto Rico is a part of the United States and it's a colony, but definitely that they are American citizens. It's been surprising that there hasn't been more feedback or at least outrage from the African-American community or also, you know, communities of color in terms of the collective solidarity, especially understanding oppression, the way in which things work uh, in the United States. I know that you tweeted about that. I know that you tweeted about that. Maybe if you can talk about speak directly to that uh, right now.
8: Yeah, well, I don't. I don't particularly think it's just the African American community. There's been critiques, I think, of. Um, movement organizations that to this day have not even sent a tweet about what's going on in Puerto Rico when Puerto Ricans are in their organizations. I don't necessarily think that's something new and I don't think it's exceptional to the African American community. Mm-hmm. There's like where's the Latino uproar around this, where's the white uproar? Where's the South Asian uproar? We're not seeing it because people know who Puerto Ricans are at some level but they don't understand us and don't understand who we are as a people you know it, it's painful especially within organizing spaces when you've been in organizer and know the history of Puerto Ricans and social movements and social justice there's never been a movement around racial economic or gender justice that a Puerto Rican or a collective of Puerto Ricans haven't been part of but I think that gets lost just in how we view history and the movements and how we we what we end up uplifting when it comes to social justice movements. Mm -hmm. Then on the larger scale in general, we were getting, obviously, some mainstream attention, and it was really because the president is the crazy, megalomaniac, subhuman person that he is that could care less about any person of color. And unfortunately, with the mass shooting in Las Vegas, you know, we've been... Again, kind of wiped off the map in in that regard. So uh, I need to, and I need to make it clear, especially to Pacific Pacifico audience, that I don't think it's just one community that has let us down. Mm-hmm. I think most communities have let us down. And um, with that said, the resiliency of our people, who is not only three point five million on the island, but eight million strong in the diaspora, it it's who we are as a people you know we we've always been like this as a people we resist we exist we survive and now maybe has lifted the veil particularly of consciousness amongst other Puerto Ricans who thought that this colonial relationship was good Mm. like they thought that without the United States that Puerto Rico could never survive and they are now seeing that with the United States look at what this u.s. government has done it's basically left us to die and there are people dying every day because of what they call the after effect of a disaster 16 died during the hurricane As of today, now there's 34, so those 18 deaths that have been counted are preventable deaths. Many people who are not in San Juan are burying their dead in their backyard because there's no refrigeration. There's nowhere to pick up a body. There's nowhere to store a body. So right now, we don't even know the numbers of people who have died, and we don't know what's going on in most of the hospitals that are now having almost no power and no medicines, and that means people on oxygen tanks, dialysis. I've had so many people ask me if I could bring to someone in their family that they'll come to my house from Massachusetts to drop off diabetes medicine in hopes that I can go find their father or their aunt to get them their diabetes medicine.
5: That's the voice of Rosa Clemente. Today on Harnock, we're discussing the devastation in Puerto Rico post-hurricanes Irma and Maria. Also, we're discussing the neglectful treatment of U.S. citizens by the United States government. Uh, Also, the obvious display of lack of urgency. Um, Moving forward, Rosa, let's address the elephant in the room and that elephant being Donald Trump. Um, What's your take on his photo op uh, in Puerto Rico earlier this week? There's video. Uh, and images of him throwing paper towels to U.S. citizens in need, uh, citizens who are, have been devastated by Hurricane Maria. Uh, for me, it felt disrespectful uh, and almost as if he didn't take much of it very seriously. That this was, you know, uh, cult of personality. That we're dealing with uh, a reality TV star versus someone who's presidential. And his action, uh, what I witnessed came across really as callous. What's your thoughts around that?
8: Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, what he did yesterday was treat us as he thinks we are animals. Mm-hmm. Just like he called the Central Park Five in the early 90s animals, just as he's called black people um, animals in his, his past, just as he's called Mexican rapists. He is a white supremacist that could care less if we live or die that's what it comes down to i don't spend my time anymore trying to analyze who this human being is or as my mentor calls them a subhuman because i find that exercise futile and a waste of time i think it is completely necessary that particularly leaders and and people in power and media hold him accountable and show them to be what he is i think this is an opportunity for the people of puerto rico to realize that not only has the u.s government never been our friend or we have never meant anything to america in that way right. that we were able to still survive this disaster And now is the time for the people to really be on a decolonization process of not only the island, but of the mine. And as well, what many people in Puerto Rico are doing self-determination. But what the United States wants to do, and particularly Wall Street wants to do, is they want to privatize the island of Puerto Rico. They are very good with Puerto Ricans; 3,000 of them. But on the island, getting on a boat and never coming back to the island, and and that's what we have to start to look at now. That this is going to be a push to basically gentrify the entire island to have Puerto Rico without Puerto Ricans, to have Wall Street culture uh, vulture capitalists take our land. They're already sending people down there with suitcases of money to buy people's houses and lands for five hundred for one thousand dollars. They're making it impossible for people to stay and they're making it easy for people for the people of Puerto Rico to leave. Because Simla- that's what they essentially want. Similar they to want what we, we
5: similar to what we witnessed during Hurricane Katrina. And the that's aftermath
8: exactly what we witnessed. And the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina was a ten year process. Right. You every school is shut down. So then you private you charter or you make the schools all charters. 167 schools in Puerto Rico are already closed. The first thing that's going to happen is that the Department of Education is going to probably come in and say, we will reopen your schools, but they have to be charter schools. Then you get rid of public housing. Then you don't employ people in Puerto Rico to work. Already, 38% of the people of Puerto Rico were unemployed. Already, 60% of the island was under poverty. This was all before Hurricane Irma and Hurricane uh, Katrina. We are ready in this fiscal crisis, or as they call it, the debt, which I tell people... Puerto Rico's not in debt. It's America that has extracted from us for 119 years. And what we deserve is reparations for everything this island has been taken from the island. We have a governor who's a Republican, who's a supporter of Trump, who's a statehooder, who would have rather paid bondholders on Wall Street than fix the electrical grid. He also paid Wall Street. Bondholders and then took away $320 million in collective, um, taking away from every mayor. So he weakened every municipality already by taking away what is called community development block money. You know, and so for Trump to go out there and be throwing paper towels, because that's exactly what he thinks of us, he thinks we're trash. So he treated us like it to clean up. And when he went, in Guanabo, that's one of the richest suburbs in Puerto Rico. Okay, so those people in there were first in a church run by a white man who used to be in the military in a gated community. Those were not most of the Puerto Rican people, those were not indigenous Puerto Ricans, those were not Afro Boricuas and Luisa Binales or all of these folks that are are now being subjected to militarization and heavy policing after the curfew. No, he that was that photo op was so set up and so scripted. By the governor himself, because that's where the governor comes from—from from that elite class in Puerto Rico, of mostly white Puerto Ricans who were educated in Ivy League schools in the United States, who are statehooders, who are Republicans, who basically are self-hating. Puerto Ricans who hate their own people.
5: Right, right. Rosa, you talked a bit about how this is uh, this implementation of the, the takeover of Puerto Rico has already been in place. Talk a bit about how the Puerto Rico's Financial Control Board has worsened the crisis after Hurricane Maria. I think that's this is also an important aspect when we think about what's happening on the ground.
8: Yeah, I mean, we don't know how they've worsened it right now. I mean, th- we know that what they want is they want to get paid. They want their $72 billion that they think that they're owed. So what they're going to end up doing is putting pressure on the Republican Party not to give a bigger relief package, not to release it, or or still pay the $72 billion worth of debt. And now, yesterday, Trump had said to a reporter, Geraldo Rivera, on Fox News, I'm going to cancel the debt. Well, he said that because Geraldo Rivera is Puerto Rican and is on Fox News. He, 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 first, he can't cancel the debt. That has to go through the Congress. And the Republicans... They're never gonna cancel a seventy two billion dollar debt where their Wall Street friends won't get paid. I mean, the Republicans won't even pass a gun control law where many of their own people and their own party were just slaughtered and massacred. So they're not gonna give any relief to Puerto Ricans on some island that they they don't care about. So what's gonna happen is they're gonna push for the electrical power company which is a public utility to be privatized they're going to push for higher education the university of puerto rico to be privatized they're going to push for every school to be a charter school and they're going to push for the full privatization of water that's what they're going to do and that's what they're thinking of right now While we're trying to survive that, those are the plans that they're making
5: Going to Puerto Rico and leaving on Friday, what's the narrative? What's the story you want to bring back? Have you all thought about that thus far? Of like what's what's the overall goal?
8: Yeah, first and foremost, we want to go there and report, particularly in those places that have not sought relief. And our larger goal is to begin to use what we bring back to create the narrative of not only politically educating Puerto Ricans outside of the mainland and, 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 and in Puerto Rico and other people to how Puerto Rico can actually be a, a, a new nation and a new society in which we can reimagine what community can look like. We can imagine an entire system of, uh, uh, of power that is solar power. We can imagine a new agriculture system where we don't have to input goods that are readily available on the island but get exported because people on the island need income to come in so or you can't even afford sometimes the fruits that are being sold on your own island you know it's a way to reimagine what public education could look like it's free free higher education which was the norm in puerto rico and i know we know the team that's going at that those conversations are happening and have been happening for a newer generation of Puerto Ricans who were in grassroots collectives, whether they be agriculture collectives, cooperative economics collectives, feminist collectives. We're also thinking about our LGBTQIA brothers and sisters that were already on the margins. What has this done to displace them even more? What has this done to displace Afro-Boricuas who were on the map, the mm-hmm. margins? So. Our, our ultimate goal is to report, to reimagine, and to revive Puerto Rico, um, and not as people who are not Puerto Rican. And that's also going to require probably a lot of us from the mainland to maybe make a decision, do we move to our island and, and repost there? And build new lives there to be part of the rebuilding of a nation. A lot of my comrades and people my age and younger are talking about that, about we're not going to Puerto Rico just to help out for a week. Some of us are thinking of relocating there and being part of rebuilding the nation of Puerto Rico outside of occupation. Hmm. And... I think that's a vision that is critically important in these times when we envision what we can do, as opposed to always have to fight what we're against.
5: Absolutely. How can listeners uh, plug into what you'll be doing once uh, you all touch ground in uh, Puerto Rico? This was it this Friday. What can uh, how can our listeners follow you or uh, maybe add or contribute to the relief efforts there in Puerto Rico?
8: Well, first, everyone can follow me, Rosa Clemente, and then um, defend Puerto Rico, Eli Jacobs Santucci, and uh, two other reporters, Cap Lasso and Raquel Ricard. Folks can feel free after they hear this interview for, and I will send you what will be our hashtag and our Twitter name and all of that. Of course, they can continue to listen to Hard Knock Radio as well as Pacifica as well as Rising Up, um, with Sonali, Sonali, and just really just follow us on social media. I think the, the hard thing might be potentially us coming on the air in real time to report because of the communication gap that's happening but if they just follow at least that whole supplement thing, you know every day there will be two to three to four or five updates and as well if people are wanting to contribute I would say you can hit me at Clemente Rose at Venmo but Venmo just suspended my account Because they're saying I'm getting too many donations and whatever Venmo does. So people can hit me up and definitely give us funds at my paypal account which is also clemente rosa and um you know just reach out to me forever who here's this interview and wants to get down we're here for two more days i'm answering every email and every anybody who wants to support
5: and, the, and then and also, that's how folks could do it and i think the goal is that you know nobody wants to deal with red cross i mean it's try, trying to find the organizations that no. are actually on the ground that are doing the work right so i think that's also really yeah. key um again rosa thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today
8: yeah, let me just say one more thing about that, too. The reason we're also taking donations, uh, cash donations, is because right now on the island, you can't use... An, if you use an ATM that's available, you're limited to 100 to $200 a day. And then basically you cannot use credit cards on the island. So a lot of the organizations that are down there, although donations are good... They need cash right now to actually have transactions, to be able to buy food from from vendors, right? Because they can't go get food at a supermarket or even a Walmart or Walgreens and use a card. You got to pay cash. And I think that's really important for people to know because we live in a society where everything is mostly swiping that's connected to some system. And now in Puerto Rico, most people literally have to use the dollar bill or $5 or whatever to get their medicine to buy their water and all those things and that's why we we need to tell people that situation as well we're we're going to go down there with cash in hand and and give it straight to grassroots organizations that have been left on the margins even though people are saying over 20 million dollars has been donated but mostly that has gone to the red cross and it's not getting to the
5: people all right again rosa thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us we really appreciate it
1: Another for the weekend. A vision is only blurred when life seems unfair. So, who am I to judge the man with the needle in his vein when he just chasing freedom to escape the pain of the world's fast paced, heightened shortcomings? He's just trying to make. And live, dip, we do? And live, dip, we do? it's a very thin line between respect and being broken, being one red button away from World War III. Always call the minority, and always, always. Always standing still, down and out, struggling in this concrete jungle. One checked away from starvation, poverty. 1203, being called a minority, and being pulled, always being pulled, going subject to brutality, is every street like a living hell, probably cause they all just want us to fail, and three strikes of trolling impact the jail, like the slave ships when they sell, but they don't know
4: Every set, every hood, barrio oh, 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 oh. to barrio, y'all not stand not up, hate, hate. stay righteous, speaking to the thugs, Let Let I hate, I hate. one love, Let Let I hate, I hate. we know where y'all at, <laughs> top, <laughs> round <Real> buffalo, <laughs> it's a hard knock life gotta pay your bills they want a song about bling but it ain't real uh we speak to the kids and the ogs organize mobilize be the change you want to see 415 15s hard knock radio brown buffalo all up in your stereo and to the youth lift life like it's golden go dumb go hard but don't forget where you're going we from the hood so it's all to the good let us know this what you're feeling is right let's get this understood it's only one reason why we here today. We try to make real. Music, so yeah. the people can yeah. like, yeah. Learning from, Learnin Learnin from the Hornocks, living in these Hornocks, listening to Hornocks, questioning the pork. Learning through these Hornocks, living for this hip hop. Listening to Hornocks, ripping to the horse Learning from the Hornocks, living in these Hornocks, listening to Hornocks, questioning the pork.
9: Monstrous war crimes, the nuclear bombing of two undefended Japanese cities, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, on August 6th and August 9th, 1945. The fake history I learned as a child in the 50s and 60s was that the bombings saved the lives of a million Japanese and Americans who might have perished in a land invasion of Japan. That was a lie. The U.S anticipated turning its World War II ally, the Soviet Union, into its post-war enemy and hoped to scare the Soviets with the terrible carnage its new nuclear weapons might inflict. The hundreds of thousands murdered at Hiroshima and Nagasaki were the opening acts of the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union the beginning of a U.S. nuclear-armed crime wave which has lasted over 70 years and included each and every U.S. president, from Harry Truman to Donald Trump. This is not hype, and it's not exaggeration. When you rob someone and tell your victim you've got a gun, you are charged with armed robbery, whether or not you pull or use the weapon. By that standard, the U.S. has been a rogue nation on a nuclear-armed crime spree now in its eighth decade. A few years ago, the American Friends Service Committee compiled a partial list of the times U.S. presidents have openly threatened humanity with nuclear destruction. You can find it yourself by googling American Friends Service Committee and nuclear blackmail. Here are a few of the dozens of incidents it lists. In 1946 and 1948, President Harry Truman threatened the Soviets over Iran and Berlin, respectively, and the Chinese in 1950 and 1951. President Eisenhower threatened the Chinese over Korea in 1943 and again in 1956 over the Chinese offshore islands of Quemoy and Matsu. Eisenhower offered the French nuclear weapons to use against the Vietnamese at Dien Bien Phu in 1954. President Kennedy threatened a nuclear strike at the Soviets over Berlin, and he sent nuclear-armed missiles to Turkey on the Russian border in 1961, Though these were later wisely withdrawn after the nuclear standoff of the Cuban Missile Crisis, the U.S. has consistently based its nukes on fleets and bases in the Pacific, in Europe, and Asia, and for decades on mainland South Korea. President Johnson and President Nixon both menaced North Korea, Vietnam, and the Soviet Union with air and seaborne nukes and President Gerald Ford ordered nuclear-armed bombers from Guam to loiter for an extended time off the coast of North Korea. Jimmy Carter issued the Carter Doctrine, reaffirmed by President Reagan, which committed the U.S. to a nuclear response if its vital interests in the Middle East were ever threatened. Ronald Reagan terrified the world, though he did briefly consider a lasting arms treaty with the USSR. Bush I, Bush II, and Bill Clinton all menaced North Korea and Iraq, and Obama declared all options on the table against Iran. The AFSC list does not include vital U.S. assistance in developing nuclear weapons technology that the United States gave to apartheid South Africa, which later relinquished its nuclear weapons, and apartheid Israel— which currently has missiles aimed at every Arab capital within 1,200 miles, and at Iran. So while Donald Trump's fire and destruction bombast is criminal, deplorable, and detestable, it's not new. It's tradition. It's merely the latest installment in a long-running crime wave by the planet's number one nuclear-armed felon, the United States of America. You s a u s a let's make it great again and again for black agenda radio i'm bruce dixon find us on the web at www.blackagendareport.com where you can subscribe to our free weekly email newsletter and check out our new website
10: Ocean slipping down my fur and landing on my hopes. and dreaming off the maps, no hidden grits. I'm fleeing. I worship you like holy days, lying on my back, seeing clouds and rays, drinking lime and bitter from my lemonade. White horses, every time won't do. Remember Dreaming of a past That couldn't last And now we're changing Refrain
11: it mean to call oneself an abolitionist? The word doesn't mean much today, and it certainly doesn't mean what it meant 150 years ago. Then it meant an end to what some have called America's original sin, slavery. Today? Well, it's not a common term today, but it should be. It was the nation's first biracial movement built by blacks and whites to oppose the evil of slavery. But it's important for us today to recognize that when they were active during the 1830s, 40s, and 50s, they were portrayed in the press and spoken about by prominent men in power as madmen and crazy women who dared to oppose something so fundamental to American wealth like slavery. Abraham Lincoln, speaking at New York's Cooper Union before his election, depicted John Brown as a madman and not a member of the Republican Party. It was only after the war that abolitionists were regarded as sane people, not before. There's a lesson here for you all, people at the abolitionist forum. That is, don't worry about what people in power or media say about you. Ask yourself, is what you're doing is right? Then roll with it. It's right to oppose mass incarceration. It's right to seek to abolish the racist death penalty. It's right to fight against state repression. And the right time to do that is now. From Imprison Nation, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio.
3: <laughs>
12: On the move, I want to thank Mr. Lewis Farcon and hey, more for the kind invitation to join you all here as we gather in person or electronically. We do so in a time of peril. We do so in the aftermath of hurricane. When the state showed us all that they don't give a
13: damn about black lives. The black black angry black leaders black black that frame Mumia are the same names blamed for Hurricane Katrina. Katrina. See the levees would break, the waters <laughs> would crush, and President Bushy would forsake the poor and no press. So just from the smaller Katrina's, we experience our deadly effects in all arenas. Every year, public schools miseducate the poor, destroying any chance to advance and get more. Man, yeah. taxes pay for the oppression we experience. Police too brutal for me to mention. It gets really tense. Yeah. Consumers of the media filled with ignorance, poisoning our minds with gimmicks and violent images. Yeah. The daily hurricanes of hate and indifference experience behind the prison gate on some shit. Oh, the oh, courthouse man. laws and cruel labor bills are threats to our welfare and. Now Tools of of justice. But every day of our lives, we see small, but no
12: less lethal Hurricane Katrina. Every year, in public schools, millions of black, Latino, and poor kids are miseducated, thereby destroyed, as surely as any hurricane, their life hopes and
13: chance and and we need the boom in the millions to bring true social power to civilians. We don't gotta swallow the bullshit bo- from the one that you follow and free your mind from the mud that you wallow in. Save the Hey, from the confusion of social repression and destitution, there is only one solution to this intrusion the movement of millions to bring forth a revolution. Now, who's in? Those engaged in the struggle for freedom and justice and the liberation of political prisoners. We need those dedicated to change so that rich and poor children are educated the same. Yeah, we need the movement to resist the fraction that brought you patriot acts but not patriotic actions. We need the movement that ignites, not divides us, despite all the trauma. The survivors. We, we need a movement of millions To build true social power
12: To free our minds and our bodies From the mud that we languish in We need a movement of millions To transform our current social reality Of repression and destitution We need a movement of millions To bring back light To the eyes of our people To engage in a struggle for freedom For justice and for liberation We need a movement of millions of the poor, of workers, of women, of youth, of students, of prisoners, of all those dedicated to change. To build independent organizations that can't be bought or sold. And will do the work necessary to be free, free,
3: free, free.
4: Let us. <laughs> hey, hey, Ho 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 Every set, every hood, body over body,
3: y'all stand up,
4: stay righteous, speaking to the thugs, one love, we know where y'all at. Hot. Brown Buffalo. It's a hard knock life, gotta pay your bills. They want a song about bling, but it ain't real. Uh. We speak to the kids and the OGs. organize, mobilized, be the change you wanna see. 415, but hard knock radio. Brown Buffalo, all up in your stereo. And to the youth, live life like it's golden. Go dumb, go hard, but don't forget where you're going. We from the hood, so it's all to the good. Let us know this what you're feeling is right. Let's get this understood. It's it's only one reason why we here today. We try yeah, to make real yeah, music so yeah, the people can relate. Yeah. Yeah. Learning from these hard knocks. Living in these hard knocks. Listening to hard knocks. Questioning the podcast. Learning through these hard knocks. Living for this hip-hop. Listening to hard knocks. Ripping to the partstack. Learning from the hard knocks. Living in these hard knocks. Listening to hard pushing Questioning the podcast. Learning through these hard knocks. Living for this hip-hop. Listening to hard knocks. Ripping to the style.
14: I was six when I met my mom for the first time. We were at the Oakland Zoo at an event where people meet foster kids. This tall Caucasian woman walked up to me and offered to get me a slice of pizza. It was my sixth slice that day. But the foster home I was living in at the time barely fed me, so I chowed down. After that, I started seeing the Caucasian lady about once a week. We'd go to the park or her house and we'd talk. A few months later, I moved in. Eventually she became my mom. Back then, I didn't really care that my mom was white. As I got older though, race became more of an issue. I could tell by the way people would stare at us that they were trying to figure out how we were related. Once a kid came up and asked, is that your mom? Even though she was standing a few feet away and could hear the whole thing, I told him no. That's my babysitter. I was embarrassed. I felt like people were asking, where are your real parents? And my real parents didn't want me. Being adopted is difficult, same with being part of a mixed race family. To this day, I avoid family photos, not because I don't like my family, but because I feel out of place. There I am, the short black girl in the front row. On the flip side, I sometimes feel like I have a superpower, like I can more easily see two sides of the same story. Take police brutality, I know that the killings of black people are wrong and undeserved, but I can also understand why members of my adoptive family who live in mostly white cities like Davis don't talk about the Black Lives Matter movement. Race in America is a mess. If we didn't know that before Charlottesville, we certainly know it now. I've had experiences others haven't, and my perspectives are unique. I definitely have a superpower. I'm just trying to figure out how I can use it. I'm Heaven Bashand.
0: Trust, just trust in me. And Maybe
3: we can make it right. Love, love, love on.